Jesus prayed for a blind person three times. Let's do that. You guys got to stretch your hand toward her now. Come on, you got you got to help me. All right, <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name. Well, good morning. <laughs> it seems like we have quite a few people at different locations today. <laughs> Busy, going going different places. Not feeling well, so we uh, we make sure that we are keeping everyone in prayer for those things. If you are going to be missing and you would like prayer for us, you would like for the church body to pray for you, then make sure that you notify somebody, let somebody know so we can keep you in prayer and uh, and, and do that as the body of Christ together. So um, uh, just also a really quick announcement as well, too, for my class, Die Tonight. I'm going to have a YouTube version for that class. I'm going to be, I was asked to go down to, I say go down, go over to Nashville tonight and to lead worship for an event that's going on over there. So I'm going to be scooting on out of here after lunch and uh, and driving over to Nashville. So having a good time just saying yes to the things that I feel like the Lord wants me to say yes to and and then moving on with all the stuff that we're currently doing. So it's a good time <laughs> to be to be alive and to be doing ministry. So um, if you remember uh, just by any of the weeks that you've been here uh, for the last, oh, I don't know, about month, month and a half or so, we've been going through the book of First Timothy. And I've really been enjoying this study over this book. I think that this there's so... There's so much rich content inside of here that could really help us um, decipher through, understand, and glean from that the Lord wants us to be able to, to recognize in our own lives and as we progress through, especially in this transitionary period. Um, and so the first week, we kind of went through the introduction of the, of the entire book, kind of the method that Paul was using when he was writing to Timothy. Again, we remember that these books of the Bible were not just some kind of ancient thing written specifically to us in this time. It was written to specific people in the time that they were alive. And the wonderful thing that God has done is, is he's, he put on the hearts of each of these individuals in these letters to write things that would specifically also impact us today, even though we are not alive in the same time that they were. So it's wonderful to be able to go back and to read through um, this beautiful book that we have that, uh, that provides us with life and restoration and healing and guidance. Uh, but to understand the time that they were living in and to understand what was happening in those areas so that we can rightfully divide the word of God the way that it needs to be done so we don't take things out of context, we don't develop some wacky theology, uh, some wacky doctrines or anything like that. We want to make sure that we are doing things that, uh, that glorify God, that give him honor, praise, and, uh, and give him all the power for those things. So uh, the first week we went through the introduction, how Timothy was a spiritual son of Paul's, and, and it was a privilege for Paul to send Timothy to this church, uh, Ephesus, this church in Ephesus. And, and if you remember anything about some of the previous teachings, Ephesus was a well-established church uh, that had gone through some difficulties in the way that the, uh, the different people preaching were starting to teach things that were not according to Scripture. They were moving away from what God had established in foundational Scriptures and, uh, and making way for sin to happen. And where we see in the middle of, of chapter 1, Paul really details some, some things about specific sins that were happening within the church body there. Uh, in the, at the very end of that chapter, he mentions two specific individuals that were actually leading people astray and saying that he gave them over to the accuser as they as they were teaching things that were leading people um, into darkness and into sin. And because of that, he was like, if they're going to be teaching this, then they can reap the, the fruit of their labor that they have from that 
and uh, that is for God to be the judge of them and, uh, and to take care of those things. And so, and then he moves on and says, okay, so this is the way that we need to be conducting ourselves outside of these inappropriate practices that all these people were teaching and things. Let's find out what it is and what it means for us to conduct ourselves within the body of Christ together. And leads off in chapter 2 telling us that we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. Regardless if you feel like you're a part of a prayer team or you don't, if you feel or don't feel like you're an intercessor, like that was something that you're called to, we're still called to pray. Regardless of who you are, you are called to pray. That is something that we need to do as, as believers. It's communication with God, offering up petitions, prayers, thanksgiving um, to the Lord. And so this is very vital and important. And so he leads off with that and then, and then moves into the character and nature of, of the body of Christ. Um, calling out individuals for how they should be conducting themselves in purity and honesty and in openness. And then also moving into the aspect of people in their relationships with one another, being able to, to be open with one another, uh, to, to deal with uh, conflict in a way that is beneficial to the body, not one that is demeaning to people, but one that calls the person to a higher standard. And so when we have conflict with one another, it is not to push them down and to make them feel lesser. It is actually to raise them up into who God is calling them to be, which is, which is to live in holiness, to live in righteousness, to live in purity, to be full of justice. All of these things are very valuable. So whenever we, whenever we are dealing with one another within the body of Christ, um, and you see someone who is not living up to the standard that God has put forth into us, it is not a, a reason for us to feel superior. It is actually because they are connected to us in the body it actually brings us to a place where we want to lift them up because in lifting them up, we also raise ourselves up to the place that God has called us into being. And so it's so important for us to do this correctly. And then talking about how last week we dealt a lot with leadership and, and ways that we're supposed to, to believe in uh, those who are supposed to be teaching from, from the pulpit, those who are supposed to be leading in other areas of ministry, how we're supposed to lead from the household as well because this was not just something that they would do in a big building like we have today. This was something they would be incorporated with and involved with heavily in households. And so if they were to be conducting church within the gathering of, of individuals in households at the dinner table and then going through celebrating God and, and everything that he has done for us and what Christ has done by, by being crucified and rising from the grave, then that means that we need to be able to live in a place where we can be honorable to one another, that we can respect those who are, who are starting to become older in their years to where they could be respectable because, not just because they're older and we're supposed to honor our elders, but because when you are an elder, when you're an elder person, you have lived a life and you have wisdom to impart to those who are younger. But there is a difficulty whenever we don't go through healing on our own, through Christ, of course, if we don't encounter in, in, in if we don't encounter healing in our life and, and go through these areas of repentance of our own things, then we're not going to have a lot of wisdom to impart except for it's going to be wise not to be like that person. That'd be the only kind of wisdom you'll be able to impart to somebody. And so if we're really going to be honorable people, people who can, who whenever we, people look at us as Christians, if we're going to be these people that they're like, wow, I need to know the God that you serve because you represent someone who is much greater than this religiosity, um, this just strictly traditional with no fruit coming from the traditionalism form of Christianity that we've seen before. It's easy for us to do in Western America, not any one specific denomination. This is across the board. This does not just pinpoint one group of people. This is an entire group of individuals that it's easy for us to be traditional 
and whatever kind of tradition you grew up in, whether if it was from, uh, from a cessationist background or a continuationist background where you believe the gifts are for today or you don't believe the gifts are for today. Either way, there are traditions in those that people worship instead of worshiping the one who gives those gifts. So we get, we get to this point now after talking about elders and deacons as servants of the body, not superior individuals to everyone else being able to raise their noses to all the people who are in the congregation, but these are servants to provide avenues for people to get to know God in a greater capacity, to draw them closer to the heart of God. So when we see how these people are supposed to be acting and, and how they can be great examples to those around us now, Paul then leans into this part at the very tail end of uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says this, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth, of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which all true godliness springs is great. And then he goes into a nice little hymn. This is great. He, he, sing, he, he writes a song <laughs> for them to sing. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed in, on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And that's the end of this chapter here. So there's a couple really cool things that I like about what Paul writes at the very back end of this, especially after teaching a lot of different things here. He goes and he kind of gives a little summary of what he had previously taught all of them from, this, from, from the point leading up to this verse. He says, and I'll go back from the top if you want to, Philip, go back to verse 14 if you would for me. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We're going to stick right here in this verse for a second. He says, know how to conduct yourselves in God's household. So he's kind of moving backwards, re reminding them of what he had just taught them. So knowing how to conduct yourself in God's household, this is the pillar and the foundation of truth, which is living for Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So reminding them, this is how we need to conduct ourselves. Rem reminding them, hey, everything that we just talked about, especially from, from chapter 1, if you remember the, the way that that was broken down, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first half of the Ten Commandments deal with sins against God. The second half deals with sins against fellow man. And the same thing is what Paul does, except for he brings up the sins that they were committing. And then by reminding them of those sins, he mirrors the commands of the Ten Commandments. By going through and saying the first half of those dealt with sins against God, then the second half dealt with sins against fellow man. Reminding them, this, this is what I've taught you. Now as, as elders, as deacons, as servants, as those who would, who would be incorporated with the body of Christ, this is how we should conduct ourselves in God's household which is the church of the living God. This should be, like I, like I mentioned a little bit uh, ago, this should be something that we're not just doing in church, but as we live in the household of God, as we live, and again, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes this multiple places. Jesus makes this evident as he is the true temple, um, leading up to the points where he's standing in the midst of the temple and says, in three days, um, uh, yeah, every stone will be, will be turned down, but in three days I can raise it up again. Not speaking of the physical temple there, but his body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, saying in three days he would rise from the grave. Come on. 
So saying, if this is the true reality of how we're supposed to be living in the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just me as an individual as being the temple. I'm not the only person that, that holds and contains and has relationship with the Holy Spirit. Each and every one of us who knows Christ and who has dedicated our lives to Jesus, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. So that means that if we are truly the body of Christ, then as one, we are as the gathering of the people of God, as the as we glorify God with one voice, as we lift up his name in, in this in this atmosphere, as we go into the into the nations, as we go into our homes, as we go into the, the city, as we go into our jobs, as we go into schools, that we contain and we hold the presence of the living God. And in all things that we do, we glorify him with those actions. If we are the temple, then all the activities that will be around in and through us will also glorify God at all times. But this is done as the body of Christ, and it is felt as the body, so that regardless of where you go, people will recognize that there's something a little bit different about the way that you carry yourself. There's something different about when you say words that carries weight to them, not because they are your words, but it's because the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy showing them that this is the same reality that they can have in their lives. As I share my testimony of what Christ has done in me, I'm letting you know that he can do the same thing in you. The greatest prophetic word you could ever give somebody is the testimony of what God has, has, has done in your life and call that out in them as well. It's the greatest act of prophecy of proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's by listening to his Holy Spirit and being able to share that in communication. He will lead your words as time, as time goes, but we, if you're sensitive to him, you'll be able to say everything that you need to in order for their heart to be awakened because it is the Holy Spirit who draws men to repentance, not my ability to communicate to others. You can have someone who is the most illiterate, un, unable to form sentences very well, says everything in the most wrong capacity, but has a complete love and joy for Jesus Christ and, and who has been enraptured in the spirit of God by, by the salvation that he offers people because you don't have to be a certain IQ in order to know Christ or to be affected by him. It is offering your life and all that you have and everything that you can do. That's the powerful thing. And so even the most simple of minds can impact someone who has the highest of intellects and vice versa because it is not by my might or by my power, but it's by the Spirit of God that is able to do all things through, through us. So if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. We need to be able to conduct, conduct ourselves, and I'm taking a little bit of time this morning to go through this part because I think it's important that we don't just go through Scripture, and as, as much as I love going through the passages like we're doing, just doing some, some exegetical work where we're breaking down verses and words, and it's wonderful and awesome, but it's important for us to revisit these things, and it's not just, okay, I went through a class over this book, and then now I don't have to go through it again. But Paul even thinks that it's important to revisit these principles quickly to show you again, hey, this is valuable, this is important, this is not just words that I'm writing to you, this is something that we need to really attach ourselves to and realize that if we're truly to give God the glory, then we're going to have to really think about the way that we're living our lives again as well. And then he says that it's the pillar and the foundation of truth. Paul says that to live for Christ and is uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He wrote that to the church of Philippi. So the foundation of the truth of the gospel is that if I'm living, I'm living for Christ. And if I die, it's gain because that means that I get to experience him in eternal glory. 
that if I live, it is because Christ lives inside of me. If my reputation dies, even if you're still alive, but your reputation dies because you've decided to dedicate yourself to Christ and not conform yourself to the ways of the world, then guess what? That's gain. That's still gain. If I have to stand up for what I believe in in, in a manner that may make some people uncomfortable, then it's going to be gain because I get to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, to live, to live, to live is Christ. And this, I think, is something that we need to, to really keep, keep in our perspective, and especially in focus, that as I'm living, as I'm here right now, Christ is my center, not my own ability to try to convince someone that their thought process is dumb. There's a lot of craziness in what people are believing today. There's a lot of different types of ways of life that people are starting to live and really making it something that is at the forefront of our culture and society. You know, pushing many different types of agendas. Some to where if you actually look at it, it th- all these things are connecting to try to move into one specific thing. But here's the deal. It's not can we convince people of what we believe is, is incorrect. It's can I lead them to the love of God. Because even if they change their mentality, what happens to their soul? Even if they change just the way that they say something, but behind closed doors, they're still the same. What good did that really do for that individual? And this is where the aspect where I think when Paul really mentions in chapter 2 that we need to offer up prayers, not just for ourselves or for anything like that. He goes up to leaders governmental officials he talks about people who are high in power and say we need to pray for them so that they may receive the gift of salvation so that they could come to the knowledge of jesus christ so that the holy spirit can convince them of the rest i don't have to post on social media about what i disagree with with different political people because who am i in little southeast missouri to reach to this person and be like oh you know what this guy named zach can you, can, he just changed my mind. My goodness, I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill, and I was just wondering if, if I could look on Facebook and see what some people were saying about me, and he just, he, he, he said three sentences, and it just completely transformed the way that I thought about my bill. My goodness, I've got a 45-page bill that I've been working on for my entire time, trying to please all these people here and trying to connect all these big-name people. But yeah, let me tell you, he called me a blooming idiot, and you know what? I believe it. I, that's me. I'm a blooming idiot. That's, that convinced me. That's all there was to it. No, how about the prayer of a righteous person avails much? How about we can actually reach to the highest of heights and talk to the one who is the greatest convincer of all time and just pray on their behalf? Moses had an entire nation of idiots. An entire nation of people that God was like, I'm just going to kill them all. That's way easier. Let's just start over with you, Moses. You seem to have some things at least in some sort of order where you're talking to me. These guys right now are worshiping a cow that they built. Dumb. But Moses, he prayed a petition for his people. He, he, he acted on behalf of them. He's like, God, you know that. And he was just, he was just talking to them. He didn't, he didn't have to convince them of anything that was outside of God's character. God was righteous enough to be able to say, yes, he could, he could do all those things that he wanted to, and bam, it could happen. But it, it's, it's beautiful to see how 
when we can actually step out in faith and believe for people that even someone who would be writing the narrative of the Old Testament passages of what the Israelites were doing, even saying that, you know what, God, God was like, let's just get rid of these stupid guys. These are crazy people. They're doing crazy stuff right now. That they would even recognize and say that it is, it is very vital for us to reach out to our fellow, for our fellow people, for humanity, and pray on their behalf and say, God, there's a, there's a way of salvation, and, and, and you provide it. But you're the only one that can provide it. I cannot provide it on my own. I can't go down there and correct all their craziness. This is something that, that you can do only. And so I think this is vital for us. And, and Paul, being someone who knows Scripture in and out, up and down, round and round, just, just so intimate with it, knows the power of prayer. He could see it all throughout Judeo, Judeo history of what happens when somebody stands up and prays on behalf of the people group. You can think of Daniel, who still in the midst of persecution and being in Babylon was, was able to sit down, open up his window, and still declare and pray out to the, to the Lord, giving him thanks and honor. Thrown into a lion's den, and in, him, in the act of obedience, still saw God move powerfully enough to where he was able to move out, and the king would give glory to God. Not because Daniel stood there and gave him a massive sermon about why he was wrong for all the things, no, the love that he showed the king actually broke the king's heart whenever he had to throw him in the lion's den. And then seeing that God saved him was enough convincing that he needed to say, all glory goes to your God because nobody else that was over here could convince me otherwise of this because I've experienced the power of God in my life. So Paul goes through and says that. He, says, he lets them know about how, he, about how he spoke about these things in, in reverse. Conducting yourself in God's house. And pinpointing the pillar and foundation of truth by abiding by the law, which is good and founded in love. Remember in, in chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, he says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, we got to remember that. we got to remember that. That in the hymn that he gives, he combats the inaccurate descriptions of Christ that were, that were taught in those times. Remember, the overarching part of this whole entire book, the reason why Paul was sending Timothy was because of the inappropriate teachings that were happening from the pulpit, leading people astray. And so remember, we have to look at this book from that lens, that this is combating inaccurate teaching, combating false doctrine that was being preached. And so in this song, this is why I love songs so much. This is why it's important for us to sing, because it's not just fun to do. It's not just a good melody. It's not just great to be able to hear some live music. It's because it communicates something that even moves past just listening to a sermon. You will not be able to quote my sermon word for word. I don't know if I could quote my sermon word for word because I don't transcribe them. I can give you the notes and I can give you great generalities and I can give you about the same thing that I taught about just now because I have the notes for it. But let me tell you, you're not going to transcribe that back to me after we get done. But you can sing a song word for word. Because you can hear it over and over, and the melody catches and it aligns with you. And so it's very important for us to sing these songs, not just in giving glory to God, but in being able to remember his goodness in our own lives. By giving him thanks, we're encouraged. <laughs> because we get to remember, this is the same God. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, right? I'm calling on the God of Moses, calling on the God of, of Mary. You know. Oh God, my God, I need you. There's great things to remember, <laughs> right? 
Uh, these are great things to remember. So in these songs, it's, it's valuable for us to be able to take the message and to implement it. But it's also important for us to know that the songs that we sing are accurate to the Bible. And this is what Paul says. He says, he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. He combats and backhands all of the false doctrine in this one little hymn. <laughs> Miraculous. Here's how he does it. He says that he appeared in flesh. This means that he was not just spirit. Gnostics believe that he was spirit. It's just the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ was good, but the flesh, bad. Anybody who was in the flesh, all this stuff, terrible. So if you were a Gnostic, you believe that you could sin all you want because that's just the flesh. And the flesh will pass away, and that's its, that's its um, uh, a punishment, of just about. It's just it dies. It goes away. Spirit, though, if you're saved, bam, your spirit goes to heaven. You can sin all you want to because that's what the flesh does. Inaccurate. Bad. Bad, bad, bad theology. And so he says, Jesus came in the flesh. That means he was human. Came in the flesh. Also, which means that he was flesh, so there are no more Christs. There are no more messiahs that we have. We're we, we not looking for another messiah. We're not waiting for another messiah. There's no one who's going to appear, who stands up. And Lord knows there have been many people throughout history who have declared themselves to be Jesus reincarnate. Right? And lead all kind of people into, into some crazy stuff. Lots of mass suicides, lots of cr just awful things that have happened because these people have claimed to be Jesus. Only one Jesus, okay? Only one Jesus. There may be Jesuses, but there's only one Jesus Christ, okay? So, so there's one Jesus Christ. So he came, he was in the flesh. So he did come in the flesh, he dwelt among us. And then he goes on after that. Vindicated by the Spirit. Or vindicated in the Spirit. Other translations even say in the Spirit. So this shows that he was not just man. His story did not end in death, but continued as he rose again from the grave. He was not just a man. There are people that believe that Jesus was just a prophet. Right? There are religions that teach that he, is he was just a great, great righteous prophet and proclaimed good things about God, but that was it, that he himself was not the Messiah. So you have those both, both different sides. You have one side that says he was just spirit. Other side that said he was just a dude. And that was it. And that's how they believe about Jesus. And Paul's like, nope. He was God in flesh. 100% God, 100% man. How is that possible? I still can't quite wrap my mind around it, but I believe that the Bible says it's true, and so I'm going with it. <laughs> that's great. And so here we go. So he said, he said he appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. So this is really important, too, because this means that he was seen. If you think back at the resurrection story, who was the first ones to see that Jesus was risen from the grave God, the angels first because whenever the uh, Mary and those who came to the tomb who was sitting on that tomb who was sitting on that stone that was an angel there saying hey this guy that you're looking for he's not here he was seen by the angels he was recognized in his resurrection by the heavenlies He was preached among the nations and believed on in the world. This shows the missiology. This shows the, the e evangelical aspect of it, the evangelism that comes, that Jesus declared that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts, he says, from Jerusalem to Judea, 
to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this shows that this mandate that Christ made is still in effect and was still happening. So he was flesh, also spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the nations, and believed on in the world. There are many different types of, of philosophies and different types of religions that were preached around in this time, especially these false doctrines that were happening in this church. And so these things could be preached. So alongside of it, belief in Christ was preached, and then belief in all these different types of ideologies were also preached, but believed on in the world. Something that was maintained, even in the midst of persecution, for that belief to continue. Pastor Ken has mentioned multiple times that there's a book called uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm going to read through some of that and then think about how you've been representing Jesus for a little while. <laughs> That'll get you lit up. <laughs> That'll get you lit up. It, there, there's something incredible about seeing the example of people who truly believe in the gospel. They truly believe in what Christ did. Each of the disciples were martyred except for John. And they were martyred in all kinds of different crazy ways and just terrible, terrible ways of dying. But they went to their grave knowing who Christ was, believing absolutely not denying what he did believing absolutely in his example and what he did for us believed in his death his resurrection and his ascension believed in those things to the point to where they went to the grave because of that but as paul wrote to live as christ to die as gain they tried to kill john but he just wasn't ready to go <laughs> he just he just encountered a really really high temp hot tub you know, they tried to boil that guy alive, and he did not. He wasn't having it. And so he got exiled to Patmos and, and wrote the book of Revelation. So we see what happens when people, when people can believe something to the point that they go to the grave with it. There are many, many, uh, many writings and psychologists are just baffled at that who don't believe because they're like, it, for someone to die for something that they that's not true is just stupid. If you, don't, if you don't believe something and you go to the grave because of it, it's, very, it's a very rare occasion that someone is that dedicated to a lie. Sooner or later, that person's going to crack if they're, if they're lying and be like, no, nah, don't kill me, please. I'm trying to be alive. Whatever you got to do, I'm, this wasn't true. But these guys were so firm in what they knew and their relationship with God that they're like, nope, this is absolutely true. This is who Jesus is, what he did, and where he's at. And what's happening in the world now. And I'm not, not backing down from it. Because of that, they were imprisoned multiple times. They were, they were beaten horrendously. But they got to see prison walls come crumbling down. They got to see people set free. They got to see miracles. They got to see people healed. People delivered from things that, that, were, that were oppressive in their lives. They got to see people become transformed. Absolutely. Not because they're anything ever so awesome, but it's because of what Christ did inside of them. Because they were so affected by Christ's life that they chose to transform what they were doing and their, their trajectory of life and follow after this path of freeing people. Being as, as he told Peter, to be fishers of men. In every avenue, in every place, in every area. I mean, you could, you could go through and say, how could these guys not be super depressed because it seemed like something that should be awesome as being a Christian 
they're now getting beat up. They're getting thrown in jail. People are hating them. They're being chased out of towns. They're, you know, they're, they're getting stones thrown at them. Th- this, is, this is not the kind of lifestyle that I was looking at when I was watching the 700 Club. <laughs> I sent in my, my, my little offering there, and I just waited for my holy oil, and that was it. I thought my life was supposed to be awesome. Do not be conformed by the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. If you lack in wisdom, if you lack in these things, if you doubt, ask for wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, ask for it again. Living in the Western world, it's, it's easy for us to seek things that are comfortable. <clears throat> no one is outside of the realm of, of being tempted by comfort. <laughs> but whenever it comes down to the way that we represent Christ, how comfortable are you with misrepresenting his name? How comfortable are you with not knowing where scripture says? How comfortable are we with being uncomfortable? We ask the Lord today in song, calling on the Holy Spirit, Almighty River, come and fill me again. Holy Spirit is the comforter. And part of the reason why I think the Holy Spirit is the comforter is because we're supposed to be uncomfortable. Therefore, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, that you would not do the things that you would. As we're, as we're moving into a time where people are so, are so aware of their desires, that they're defining truth by desire. We need to be so firm in what we believe. We need to be so rooted in the scripture to where we don't find ourselves falling prey to the same ideology that they have. It may not be as extreme as we see some people. We live in a, in a very conservative area. You know, there's liberal, liberalism is, ver- is very small compared to some of the cultural places that we see in our nation. And so it's easy for us to be like, well, pff, well I'm not like California is. Well, pff, this is not like New York, my goodness. Well, what kind of compromise are we having in our life that, that could lead us into a place of discomfort and misrepresentation of the gospel? There are plenty of people that live here that will attend a Sunday morning service that they know nothing of Jesus. Not personally, at least. I mean, they could quote a couple scriptures, and that's great. But what does quoting scripture do for you whenever you're <laughs> standing at, at, the, at the great white throne of judgment and talking to, talking to God and waiting for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I don't know you. God, I can quote the whole Bible. Good. Did you understand any of it? Did you live it? There are plenty of criminals who know the law. 
They can go into a court of law and they can just about represent themselves. It doesn't mean that they abide by it. So when it comes to our understanding and our representation of what we're learning in this, is this just something that we're adding to our Rolodex of facts that we can spit out? Or is this something that we're actually able to take with us, implement it in our lives, and then live this out so that when we encounter people in our everyday life, that we are not just another person that claims to be a Christian, but really lives life outside the realm of who God really tells us we should be. You can perform all the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders. You can, you can have great testimonies of healings. But if you yourself are not living according to the word, then guess what? It doesn't mean anything. Not for you. Not for the representation of the body. You've just become a person who someone will want to go to to get prayed for for healing, and then that's it. And that's, that's all that they get. They don't have any connection with the relationship with God. Now you are Simon the Sorcerer. <laughs> Your character matters. Our character matters. Our knowledge of who God is matters. Our relationship with God absolutely matters. Are we praying for one another? Are we praying for people who we may not see eye to eye for? Are we loving people in the midst of their inappropriate behavior? Are we playing judge? Or are we, the, are we playing as the advocate, as an advocate? Petitioning for their salvation. Paul reminds us that he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. He essentially preaches the gospel with this pen. do a good job getting into chapter four at all i was really gonna try to go through that whole entire chapter but that's okay <laughs> i got through two verses today but this is important this is important for us to, to know it's important for us to, to revisit in our lives this, this is valuable for us i think we need to have times of repetition in our lives this is why i was talking to miss betty in the back we were talking about the one-year bible how how that every single year helps us grow and learn and reading through the entire Bible every single year. To see things that maybe you haven't seen before. To read things and to, and to revisit stuff. Like, oh, I forgot about this part. To be encouraged that people mess up all the time in the Bible. This is not a book full of perfect people. <laughs> it's a book full of people who do a lot of dumb stuff all the time. And how God's mercy just shines all throughout Scripture. It's the narrative of God's love. Yeah. Yeah. It's the narrative of God's love, not the narrative of how awesome people can be if they tend, if they claim to follow Jesus. This is God's mercy and his grace and his patience and his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his joy and his justice, his righteousness and his wrath. So how are we representing God? How are we connected with him? You don't have to be 
a theologian of the highest degree in order to have a great relationship with God. You don't have to be someone who can read the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, Semitic languages, all those things in order to have a, a really solid foundation with Jesus, in order to share the gospel with somebody else. But we do need to be diligent in putting in work in our relationship with the Lord. Just because you don't have to know how to do all, all the things that these theologians and academics do doesn't mean that you do nothing. And that's the place that we can find a lot of compromise in our lives if we're not, if we're not, if we're not preparing ourselves or if we're not aware. Do we know what scripture says? Whenever we're going through our life, as we're doing activities, does the, does the word pop in your mind? Does it lift your character? Does it cause you to elevate people who are around you as well, to call them into who they've been called into being? Do people know that you worship Jesus? Maybe not because you're standing up on chairs and tables and pulpits and yelling out sermons that you've been practicing and wanting to write. That's not what I mean. Does your character show that you love people because you know Christ? That's so you don't have to be the weird Christian on the side. But when someone's hurting, are you reaching out to them? Are you taking the time? You don't say, hey, I'd like, I'd, I'm not just saying, oh, I'll be praying for you. That's the most passive thing that we can do as Christians. It's easy for us to, to forget. I've been making it a habit, habit of saying, can I pray for you right now? Is that okay? I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm in the workplace. I'm in Walmart. We're standing by the chicken, and I'm trying to pray for you. But seeing the way that people will almost melt in that moment, that someone will care for them enough to pray for them in that, in that place, not just over the Facebook post saying, praying for you, little hands, pins, emojis are awesome. Emojis don't replace true prayer. I don't care how many emojis you throw on something. So how are we how are we living this? How are we showing this? How are we singing our songs of God's goodness? Our own hymns. I'll end with this. Um, I love that that the word universe has to deal with 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 music. Uni means one verse is part of a song. It's a, it's a it's a directive. It's a verbal cue. And so all of the universe is proclaiming and declaring God's goodness just in its existence. It's singing one song of God's glory, joining in with Revelation chapter 4, the four creatures circling around heaven, the, the elders throwing their, their crowns down, the 24 elders, and singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the universe joins in with that chord, with that song. So in the midst of the universe's song, are we singing that same song, unified, or are we trying to be our own Pied Piper, figuring out that we are being Pied Pipered by the enemies of our church? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for some challenge with one another. Father, I pray that 
that we don't just be church attendees, that we actually be the church in motion and movement and action. That God, in every word that we say, every, every motion, every movement that we make, that we'll be able to give you glory with that. Lord, that our gestures give you glory, that our, our words give you glory, that our tone of voice gives you glory. That the way we hold our face when we're talking to people gives you glory. That the words that we type give you glory. That the thoughts that we have give you glory. And in the midst of the times where we fall short, let us be quick to repent of those things. And to walk in a way that glorifies you. Father, thank you that you're not looking for perfect people, but you are looking for surrendered people. So we surrender our lives completely and wholly. And all that we do, let us be great examples and ambassadors of the kingdom here on earth so that other people who do not know you may come to know you through the example that you've lived through us. Thank you that we have scripture. Thank you that, that these men and these individuals put together this great work of us being able to go back into to viewing and reading what you've done for us and what you can do through us and in us, that you weren't just someone who lived in ancient days, but that you are still alive and still active and still moving. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for the relationship we get to have with you. Thank you, that you, that, thank you Jesus, that you are our advocate, that you are our, uh, our intercessor in heaven. Thank you that it is only through you that we have salvation. It's not through our own works because we would have failed a long, long time ago if it were for that. So bring conviction to our hearts. Let us be attentive to your voice so that whenever you put someone's name on our hearts that we'll, we'll be able to open up and, and share with them that you were thinking about them. I love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me share one thing with you really quick and then I'll let you go. A uh, couple days, it was Wednesday night, Pastor Cam was preaching, and I was, I was doing some stuff for the live stream, and a buddy of mine from about, I don't know, two, three years ago, we were in a program together, popped up in my mind, and so I, ch I was going to shoot him a text message, and I was like, hey man, praying for you, and as soon as that happened, it's like I heard the word transition, just like deep in my heart, I was like, that's weird, and I, I haven't kept up with him and what he's doing in his life or anything like that, and so I was just like, hey, this may be super weird, it may have nothing to do with what's going on, but I just really felt like the Lord laid the word transition on my heart. And so I'm praying, I just told him exactly the things that I prayed for him um, in his life. He, he shot me a text message, uh, it was either that night or the next day, and was like, dude, this, this is so wild. And he went through a list of transition that he's going through in his life. And he was like, that was, <laughs> we have a really funny relationship with another. So he said, he said, that was just like a sweet kiss on the forehead for me, man. That was just great. <laughs> he was like, I just really appreciated that. Just that the Lord was, was looking out in, in those moments and that he put, put me on your heart. That was really, really special for me and my wife and, and for my kids. And, and, just, and it was just amazing to see what happens if you are attentive to listening, even the subtleties of just, I'm sitting there in the back, I'm clicking which camera was supposed to be used when Pastor Ken's preaching, and bam, just his name popped up in my head. I start praying for him, and then that word popped up in my mind too. The most non-intrusive thoughts that I've had Boom, just like that. Just shoot him a text message, and it encouraged him greatly. Find moments in your life to where if you feel that someone's name is popping up in your mind, write it down or put it in a, in a message. If you have their number, shoot them a text, give them a call. If there's a specific word or phrase, you don't have to be like, thus saith the Lord. I never say that. That is not my, the way that I communicate. I say, hey, I really feel like this word stuck out to me. Let me know if it, was, if it is dealing with something inside of you. If it's not, great. And that's a learning thing for me. That's awesome. 
But if this does affect you, then I want to be someone who can step out in faith and deliver this word for you because this could be something that the Lord wants you to be aware of in your life, that he's moving you in the right direction. And that could encourage someone greatly just to do that. We, we can be great messengers of Jesus if we're aware of those things in our life. Little subtle things. He's not going to always open up the cloud. I've never had a moment where the clouds split open and words popped open in the sky and a booming voice came down and said, text this person this phrase. Never in my life has that happened. I don't think that's going to ever happen either. But it's the little subtleties. And if you're aware of it, it could be very impactful. Be blessed. Have a great day. Enjoy having lunch with somebody. Go, go hang out. And uh, we'll see you guys on Wednesday, if not Wednesday, the next Sunday when I actually get into chapter four. <laughs> Be blessed. <laughs>